Welcome to the Show Weekly Podcast, where we talk about all things film, TV, and popular culture. I'm Joe, and joining me as always is Charlie. Hello. We've got Connor. Hello. And our newcomer, Ben, who joined us for the first time last week. Hi, guys. If you're joining us for the first time, or if you're joining us from our social media platforms, thanks for following and supporting us. We really appreciate it. If you're just joining us from our link tree, do make sure you go and check out our social media pages if you want to stay in the loop, in the shoal. If you're following along on our socials this week, you will know that today we are going to be talking about Avatar from 2009. And I, I've been looking forward to this all week. But before we have a controversial conversation about Avatar, um, let's have a catch up, guys. It's been, a, it's been a long week since we last did a podcast. Connor, what have you been watching this week? I watched Let the Right One In, the Swedish, I don't want to call it horror film, really, because it's not that kind of thing, but it's an adaptation like a sort of modern vampire story, which is really good. I watched A Simple Plan, which is some some Raimi thriller, which is just like a solid thriller. And I watched Beautiful Boy and Soul on the same day, and that just destroyed me emotionally. But they are both incredible films, so I would say absolutely watch those. I think Beautiful Boy is on iPlayer still, because I always forget to check iPlayer, and all four, they have really good films on that rotate a lot, so... I believe it was also, it was an Amazon Prime original, so I think it's on there if iPlayer runs out. Yeah, it'll probably be on there, won't it, forever if it's an Amazon one, yeah. But that was that was my view, and it was a solid week of stuff, I'd say. I haven't seen Soul yet. Soul's been making its rounds. Yeah, I was a little bit, I was a little bit worried it would fall too close to Inside Out, but it really doesn't, it it doesn't sort of, it's not, it's not similar in any way, really. It's, it's a really, really good film. Ben, what have you been watching this week? Bit of a boring week for me, I'm afraid. Uh, I just continued uh, binging Discovery of Witches um, season two, so that's uh, that's really good. Uh, like last week, I recommend it. Um, and yeah, it's just really good stuff. You've been really trying to plug it. <laughs> I, I am. I thought I'd just bring it back for a second week just to make sure that if somebody forgot about it, this is a reminder to go watch it. Every day this week, you've been messaging me saying, Joe, have you started Discovery of Witches yet? And I've just ignored it. It's <laughs> <laughs> a recurring segment on the podcast where he talks about discovery of witches. I'll, I'll make sure that I don't watch the final episode before next week, so I can plug it again. And Charlie, what what obscure thing have you watched this week that no one's heard of? Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's called Meshes of the Afternoon, and it's this weird, like, avant-garde, pre-war, weird-ass dream thing where she like meets her like demons and stuff within her like dreams and it keeps recurring and it's very weird but definitely worth a watch meant to have like a deep meaning but i can't really see it it's just a, it's just pretty cool where uh where, where can we watch it it's on movie actually right, cool yeah movie. an underrated uh streaming service yeah get on it especially if you're a university student you get it for free what about you joe what have you been watching uh no films well kind of a film but uh i actually got myself a week's trial to Broadway HD. Uh, it's only available in America, so I was using a VPN to get it. Awesome. But I, I know, I really, I really wanted to uh, 
uh, watch a particular musical with with my girlfriend, but we actually ended up watching Miss Saigon, uh, the one that was recorded in 2014 on the West End. And I've only ever heard a few songs at drama school, um, but we watched the full thing and it was fantastic. I didn't know it was based on Madame Butterfly. It was the famous Italian opera. Uh, it was really good. It was very difficult in places. Um, I can see why it was very controversial when it was on Broadway in the 80s, because it was a lot of white actors playing people of color. Uh, but thankfully, this version from 2014 had some amazing uh, Asian actors and actresses. Uh, I think the lead girl was 17 when she did it. And she was just phenomenal. So if you're a fan of musicals, or even if you're just a fan of uh, of films set in the Vietnam War, it's fantastic. If you don't know what it's about, it's uh, essentially there was a lot of men who made a lot of money from women. Uh, basically, they were pimps. Uh, and they made a lot of money out of the American GIs while they were stationed before the fall of Saigon. Uh, and every night they would host a contest to find the best prostitute and that was the Miss Saigon contest. So it, it's quite heavy at the start, um, quite misogynistic and, and quite racist, but it's it's a wonderful, beautiful story. It's quite romantic. So I recommend it. Unfortunately, you can only find it on that Broadway HD or you can buy yourself a DVD of it from somewhere, eBay, Amazon. Bit of a slow week for us all, I think, then. We haven't watched too much. I think Connor's watched the most out of all of us. Does that mean I win? What do I win? You win the first round in uh, in in the next section, which is Charlie's. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no, you uh, you get to go first with Charlie's letterbox ratings. Oh man, okay, that sounds like is that? Sounds so excited, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> no, go on. I do. I do, genuinely do really like the segment, so that's fair. So I thought I'd, I'd switch things up a bit, uh, and I've got a different question for each of you. So go on, we'll sort of kind of seeing as you won that round. Oh, uh, I was only joking about winning that. I don't <laughs> want people to really think I'm that much of an ego test. Well, uh, <laughs> go on. Uh, how many different countries have you watched films from? And like you've logged on Letterboxd. Like all time. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. How many different countries? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say I'm just gonna guess at like nineteen because as much as I try and like watch you know, non-English films. I think I still watch a lot of, like, American and British films. I'm going to say 19. It's 37. 37? Yeah, which is pretty mad. Um, and aside from the US, what country do you reckon you've logged the most films from? Is it just is it just Britain, or is it more? Japan. Japan's a good shout. I thought it would have been Japan. <laughs> is, it, is it just Britain? Yeah, it's UK. You were talking so much about Studio Ghibli films uh, yeah. over the past week, and I thought it would be that. Japan, I'm just a poser, obviously. Japan must be up there, though, surely. But yeah. Yeah, I, I should have got the number, but mm -hmm. I didn't. I'm an awful statistician. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe, I thought this would be interesting. Can you name all the films you've rated five stars? Oh, uh, okay. It's 15. It's 15. Okay, yeah. let's do this. Uh, this is really also putting me in the spotlight. People are going to judge my ratings very seriously. Okay, um, well, let's start with my favorite films that I know I've rated five stars. Uh, the Dark Knight. Yep. Uh, Drive. Arrival. Yeah. Prisoners. Yeah. 
Minions. <laughs> the Muppets Christmas Carol. No, I'm <laughs> One eternity later. Ah, uh, two left. Two left. Oh, <laughs> Revenge of the Sith isn't one of these. <laughs> oh, The Empire Strikes Back. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Empire Strikes Back. Um, There's two more. And two more. Two more after The yeah, Empire yeah, Strikes yeah. Back. Okay. Okay. Uh, let me think. None of the Marvel films. I know they're like four stars, some of them. Uh, man. Oh, two left. Come on. It's Meet the Fockers and Cars 2. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Transformers 1 and 2. Oh, you've got it. Thank you. No, I'm, I'm uh, afraid I'm going to have to give up at 13. No, it's your name. Ah. Oh. Perks of being a wallflower. Of course. Yeah. I, I did pretty good. You did. I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't know all mine. Like that is mental. Uh, and Ben, I thought a good lead-in to our main topic of discussion: who rated Avatar the highest out of me, Joe, and Connor? Joe, just purely because you two have said you didn't like it more. So, well, so Connor hasn't even rated it. it it's, <laughs> I think it's that awful. <laughs> And me and Joe both rated it 3.5. Oh. That's a trick question. It is a trick question. <laughs> we got you. Got you. Well, I mean, we've had a pretty quiet week in terms of films that we've watched, but it hasn't been a quiet week for the film industry. We had the Golden Globes get uh, announced, and also we lost Christopher Plummer, an amazing actor. If you didn't know, he made a name for himself in The Sound of Music a very, very long time ago. And then more recently, uh, he replaced Kevin Spacey in that film, All the Money in the World, which is, was a good move, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then he was in a, a fantastic film from uh, from two years ago now, Knives Out. If you haven't seen that, go and check that out. It's currently currently on Amazon Prime. Knives Out is, is a fantastic film. So yeah, Christopher Plummer, um, may he rest in peace. An amazing contribution to the to the film industry. Um, and then obviously the Golden Globes, as I mentioned. Chaz, why don't you talk us through some of the Golden Globe nominations? Because you've been more in the loop with the awards season than we have. Yeah, it's been a, a weird one for the Golden Globes. Because looking at the nominations, especially for uh, Best Picture or whatever they call it, um, there's a few that, like, The Five Bloods wasn't wasn't nominated, which I think probably should have been. Um, Mank was nominated, which... It's not Finch's best picture, and I think that's just sort of the industry sort of patting themselves on the back, saying, look at us, we've done a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, Michaela Cole, who did I May Destroy You, Chewing Gum, and she was in uh, Black Mirror, the uh, the Star Trek spoof one, yes. uh, wasn't even nominated for the TV award. Apparently, I've not seen I May Destroy You, but it's meant to be amazing. But you've got something like Emily in Paris, which is, has been nominated which apparently isn't on the same level at all. So There's quite a funny thing going around on Twitter at the moment. There's a comedian, um, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, um, Abby Govidan. And she is a, she's a comedian, she's a stand-up comedian. And she has basically d- pulled a bore at and <laughs> convinced everyone on Twitter that she created Emily in Paris. Uh, and it's absolutely fantastic. It's now in her bio. Uh, she managed to get it onto Wikipedia for a little bit as well. 
And basically, as soon as she'd convinced everyone that she was the creator of Emily in Paris, she then went on this Twitter rampage uh, saying how bad the show was, like she was dissing her own creation to the point where the BBC bought it and got in contact with her to talk about it. And so many journalists have quoted her saying that um, Emily in Paris getting nominated for two Golden Globes. And this is a direct quote, I might add. Emily in Paris getting nominated for two Golden Globes is a lot like that one episode of the show where she does something to a 17 year old you're like wow whose idea was that uh. <laughs> um, yeah and then she tweeted a fake conversation that she was having with the chair of the golden globe society uh, <laughs> saying how how do you get two nominations same way that you get weed i just texted my globes guy <laughs> and it's fantastic so yeah go and check out uh, her twitter it's at uh, abby gov gov if you want to have a laugh at that because she's honestly killing it <laughs> um, but she's quite right you know she, she made a joke that she tried to pitch emily in paris as this indian girl in paris and netflix wasn't interested but as soon as she said it was a white girl it was like two nominations at the golden globes yeah so <laughs> very funny twitter page go and check that out what else has been nominated charlie i think on on a similar level this is it screen actors guild is it mm-hmm. the SAG Awards? Yeah. i think yeah. they've had a similar sort of listings for nominations and i just feel like the oscars previously said they've put like a diversity rules in place to to help with this problem and it's just it's just it needs to be done on on a grander scale over the awards as this like discrimination isn't going to go away i don't think i feel Um, like it needs to be tackled from the bottom sometimes rather than the top like tackle it in the industry surely the awards will follow eventually do you know what i mean rather than just saying oh no we should judge these films differently but then it's like well we can do that but there's still lacking representation in all of the films that are being judged really do you know what i mean it seems a bit of a backwards way to do it really i feel that the the oscars the academy introducing that rule will help though it will help yeah no it will help but i feel like it's just one of a couple of things that maybe should be done at the same time to try and try and convert it yeah. We'll have to see. Um, of course, uh, without giving anything away, I know that here at Shoal we are working towards doing something special for the awards ceremony, so there'll be more news hint, hint. about that on the way. <laughs> so stay tuned. Follow our socials if you want to stay in the loop with that. I think we should talk about Avatar. Uh-huh, ben. ben wants we, to talk about Avatar. We need Avatar. to talk about Avatar. Take it away, Ben. So I think to start off Avatar right, we should give a nice neutral beginning and give you some information about Avatar um, in case you've not watched it or in case you're curious about um, just some more of the, just some facts about it. So a little short introduction, um, Avatar directed by James Cameron. Uh, it has a runtime of two hours and 42 minutes. So uh, you might want to set aside a solid afternoon for that one. Um, it's available to watch on Disney+. Plus. Uh, it was released on the 10th of December 2009 um, with a budget of $237 million product, uh, in production, and then it had a $150 million budget for promotion. Um, it, got a nominate, it got nominated for nine Academy Awards, um, of which it won three, uh, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, and Best Visual Effects. 
And last, but probably by no means least, it grossed a total of $2.79 billion, um, making it the first film to gross more than $2 billion. The second highest grossing film um, only beaten um, by Avengers Endgame, uh, which actually, interestingly, only beat it by $7 million, which when you're talking about $2.5 billion is not a very yeah. large margin at all. Um, quite interestingly, if you adjust for inflation, because remember, these films probably came out, what, two, ten years, a whole decade apart? Um, Avatar uh, surpasses it by half a billion dollars, which is quite interesting. Quite interesting, you know. How would it, if you want to ask the question, how would it perform today? Um, so yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah, quite an interesting one. It was also the first film to um, pass a billion dollars uh, inside of nineteen days from its release. And yeah, there you go. That's a little base fact file about Avatar for you. Before before we get into opinions, can I just say I never I never really think about when it was made because that's right after the financial crash as well. Like that's kind of a mad time for that film to be being made and being brought out. You'd think it would have affected uh, mm-hmm. it being produced a lot more. Film of that scale, yeah, at, yeah. at that time period, it's, it's, yeah. as you say, quite extreme. Well, why don't we talk about why Avatar works? Because if you're not familiar with the story, it is it, it's quite a it's quite an easy story to to sink your teeth into. It's Earth has become this, uh, I wouldn't say desolate wasteland, but it, it's on its way there. It's sort of on its way to sort of dread territory, <laughs> I would yeah. say. Um, so humanity is 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 fleeing planet Earth in in the hopes of finding a new home to live. And the home that they pick is a planet called Pandora, which is rich and beautiful and uh, and just amazing to look at visually. Um, the only issue is is that um, humans being humans, we just want to go there and, and take everything that it has to offer. Uh, there is an indigenous species that we encounter throughout the film called the Navi. Uh, and one human hero of the story um, joins their side and fights back against the humans that just want to um, terraform or deforest their planet. And it's it's, for all intents and purposes, it's it's a tale as old as time, really. Um, but, you know, why, why did it work? Uh, I think, you know, it, it's mind-numbingly beautiful, I think, is one of the, one of the first reasons why, why it worked. And the beautiful soundtrack, the visuals, it pioneered 3D in, in cinemas as well. But, I mean, I'm interested to know, before we talk about some negative opinions, which I know there are a lot of today about Avatar, why, why do you think it worked? It's like those scenes in Dread, you know, the slow motion ones. It's like yeah. those, you, know, you, know, yeah. you can get lost in those scenes. And I think Avatar is one of those films where it's a, nearly a three hour scene of just being lost in something that looks beautiful, as you say. There's a lot of color to it. And it's just the, the depth of the world outside of the story is amazing. I mean, I think you definitely, from my opinion, you've you've simplified the story a bit there, and um, but that's fine. And I think you know, if somebody's going to go watch it, you're definitely going to um, see everything. Um, I've got some great. It's interesting, uh, Connie. You said about the 2008 financial crash. So obviously, that was pretty much in the height of its production. Yeah. Um, that it, you know, the world around Avatar being made just like kind of kaboomed. Um, but despite that so some of the 
technological advancements and um, stats around it are actually just also just as mind-boggling as the uh, as the animations and the the world that they build. Um, would you like to know um, how much storage each frame, um, each minute, sorry, of the final film takes up? Yeah, go on. Seventeen point two eight gigabytes of storage. Jesus! Wow. So the C, the amount of CGI in this film, and bear in mind this is a two thousand and nine film, um, is just insane. At one point, the lead tech company um, had over nine hundred employees working on the CGI of this film. One film, um, Microsoft. Okay, so the Microsoft created a new cloud computing and digital asset management system for the company, for the the CGI company to use because they had that many digital assets. This is this is two thousand nine. Like, who the hell heard of cloud computing? Like, cloud computing now, you know, is thrown around a lot in the tech world. You know, cloud this, cloud that. We host this on the cloud and do everything. This is, you know. 12 years ago now it's it's kind of um pretty bonkers to think about how yeah. much um how much they did for it and my last my last tech stack about the cgi is would you like to know uh on what computer they um did all of this rendering and all of this processing please don't say it was a macbook <laughs> it was not a MacBook. Not entirely sure a MacBook this large exists. Exists. It was done on a ten thousand square foot server farm, which is almost a kilometer squared. Um, it had thirty five thousand processor cores, with a hundred and four terabytes of RAM. The render farm currently occupies hundred. Uh, the the render farm currently occupies the 193rd to the 197th spots on the top 500 lists of world's most powerful supercomputers. Um, so I don't actually have the stat of what where it was ranked at the time, but you know, it's, it's a massive machine. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just mental about how much kind of tech they rammed into this film and use or oh, had to use to make the film. Um, I'm sure by, you know, the kind of standards of today's films, Avengers and, you know, later CGI heavy films, it probably, you know, doesn't seem that shocking. But at the time, I mean, can't think of another film. It was about, it created the benchmark. Yeah, that it, yeah. that has so much CGI and so much tech into it, which for me makes it just special as well. But So what Ben's saying for the less nerdy people listening to the podcast is the CGI holds up. Yeah. It does indeed. Yeah. It does indeed. No, I don't think you can deny the um, impact it had in terms of film technology. Like, it absolutely made a big impact there, and a positive impact too. It's not like I wouldn't say any. I wouldn't say any of that was negative. That's. Mm. I don't think you could argue that. Did any of you see it in cinema with like in three D? Because I, I didn't. Yeah. I think yeah. maybe I did, that's yeah. why I don't appreciate it as much. But so was it? amazing in 3d when you saw it it was the first sort of non-gimmicky 3d thing i'd ever seen so before then like the only 3d film i'd seen was something like spy kids 3d and you yeah. got the dvd <laughs> with the blue and red glasses uh, but this was special you know you, you walked into the auditorium you were handed a pair of these really big 
Um, you had these really big black glasses uh, and that was exciting in itself. And then there was a big announcement that told you to put your glasses on at this point. And then you had a few 3D trailers and then it went straight into the film. And it was it was magical. And, and um, interestingly, and I think this leads on to why, in retrospect, the film isn't as great as we remember it, is that putting those 3D glasses on was kind of like pulling a veil across in that, you know, there was so much spectacle going on with, you know, the amount of tech that was involved in making the film and then the the, the promotional material, the push for 3D in cinemas. There was so much going on, it was almost like an assault on your senses. And then to sit there for two hours and 45 minutes and witness all of that breathtaking photorealistic CGI, um, it it really did something to your brain. And I remember coming out of the cinema, you know, I was only 12 years old. And I remember feeling quite depressed that I had to leave such a beautiful world uh, and to leave it behind. Um, so I think there was something magical about its release. And I think it did so well and grossed you know, that amount of money because it was such a careful, it was careful timing, it was word of mouth, and it was also spectacle. And seldom do you get all three of those things at the same time for a film. So it'll be interesting to see if that same kind of spectacle can can apply to the the sequels, but we'll talk about that later. But yeah, in, in answer to your question, Chaz, it, it was just, it was something new and fresh and really mind-blowing. So my question then is, with all these new technologies and it pioneering the, the use of like, or the extensive use of IMAX and 3D, is it enough with that on its own to make it a modern classic? I know, I know Ben's answer is yes, but... <laughs> I, think, I think it is, because aside, you know, I know, I know in your opinion it's quite an easy storyline, and I suppose, yeah, it is it's quite an easy storyline, you know, to go to another planet, the humans want to take a resource, the indigenous population has to have, a, you know, there's a cost to that. Um, and I think, yeah, I definitely would put it in that, and I think the surrounding elements of all the tech that they use to build it, like, one of the other things I found out about this film, which was just mad, is that James Cameron wrote the original kind of like, not script, but kind of the original document on the idea of it and what he wanted it to look like, his vision. He wrote that in 1994. Like That's before any of us yeah. were alive. I mean, it's just, that's just mad. Like to me, it's like he's taken this vision and it's taken him 15 years to put this together in a way that he was happy for it to be released. And like, I think... It's just it's just such a monumental film in, and it's so huge in so many different ways that for me I think it definitely makes it onto a, like a modern classic. And I think even if you you know took away some of it, the fact that it made so much money, the fact it's it was so popular, it was so massive, um, I think definitely puts it in history for that alone. But yeah, as a classic, I would definitely put it up there. Yeah, well, I know you have a maybe an opposing opinion on that. <laughs> well. No, I, I actually would agree. And I think I think that what we can all take away from this part of the conversation is that Avatar served such a huge, well, delivered, sorry, such a huge impact for the film industry. Um, and I'm talking, you know, um, pioneering new technologies. Um, I, I know that it provided so many jobs. It also really propelled cinemas and, and it also paved the way for, for a lot of 
other spectacle films that also benefited this, the film industry in the same kind of ways. And, you know, I'm, I'm obviously kind of talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe at that point. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think for all intents and purposes, Avatar is an incredibly successful film. But if I, if I might offer an opinion, I think that Avatar is the most successful bad movie. And I mean, if you don't mind, here's here's why I think why. So I, I've noticed an issue that James Cameron has, uh, and I, I've called this the James Cameron problem. Like so James Cameron is is obviously very focused on spectacle, and he likes to make things as as noisy and as big as he can on a surface level. But if you peel away, if you manage to sort of you know shield your eyes from that really blinding surface of his films. James Cameron's obsessed with one thing in most of his films, uh, and that is his obsession between the struggle between rich and poor, whether that's in one way or another, whether it's, you know, uh, um, white supremacists and uh, and natives, or whether it's, you know, yuppies and, you know, so you look at Aliens, you look at Terminator, you look at uh, Titanic, you know, class struggle in Titanic. He's obsessed with that. And my argument, one thing I would love to ask James Cameron if I ever got the chance to would be, if you want to make films about those issues, why disguise them as sci-fi? Because it seems to me like James Cameron wants to bring awareness to serious issues uh, like capitalism and like foreign powers and military powers occupying foreign lands and native lands. He wants to bring awareness to these issues, but he's, he's, it's like he's scared to commit to doing it fully. And he's been doing this since the 1980s, and it's boring. Uh, you know, he did it with he did it with aliens. Uh, so you know, that's military force going into the territory of the aliens, and the aliens are using their own environment to their advantage. And if that's not some kind of allegory for the Vietnam War, I don't know what is. And then you look at Titanic, and that's 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 class struggle disguised as a as a soppy romance. And then you look at Avatar, and I think. To sum it up, Avatar is pretty much Dances with Wolves, Last of the Mohicans, The Last Samurai, Pocahontas, Madam Butterfly, Miss Saigon in yeah. space. It's a story that I've seen so many times before. And um, I mean, for one, for one thing, I think the Navi are quite emotionally manipulative for the audience because they're visually similar to us. So, you know, they're imposing human identity sorry, James Cameron is imposing human identity upon them. And the romantic relationship between the main character, Jake, and the main Navi girl, Natiri, it doesn't come across as weird or uncomfortable because um, of the existence of the avatars in the film. So all sort of native aspects of the Navi are completely stripped away by the existence of the avatar program. Because, you know, God forbid that it was a transracial relationship. James Cameron's making them the same race so that it's not uncomfortable and weird for people to watch. And that's wrong. Um, and, you know, imagine if the story was set on Earth and it was some white dude was asked by the military to paint himself to infiltrate a tribe and then he falls in love with one of them. It would be incredibly wrong. But I guess because it's sci-fi, it's okay. So how I would, what I would recommend to anyone who wants to watch a film um, that's similar to Avatar, but actually succeeds in what Avatar wanted to do. Watch District Nine. That's an incredible film about, you know, um, 
one one guy uh, allying himself with with aliens or natives or a different race of people and it's not sort of like this kind of white savior of an indigenous species because what a surprise the main characters are white savior of an indigenous yeah. species and you know it's but i guess it's okay because he's disabled and he's in a wheelchair yeah you know i take massive issue with that and and then that's my main issue but uh, there's also just lots of really silly things in the film uh you know unobtainium the main material that they go after why call it unobtainium the one thing that really annoyed me is that the robot carries the gun why wouldn't you just put a gun inside the mech yeah that why stuck out to me yeah. <laughs> I hate that. yeah well hang on hang on so <laughs> first of all right the mech the reason why the robot carries the mech is because have you seen the size of the guns on like the dollies they wheel around it's like 10 feet long but why would you just build the gun into the robot thing why carry it it because what they're trying to say is it's human operated i think i mean there's quite a lot of things we can go off into it what i want to do is i want to address i want to offer my opinion to joe's um like the kind of opinion on the underlying storyline so i mean i'm not going to speak for james cameron's other films um and i'm just we're just you know talking about avatar here but for me i didn't think I think sometimes, and my opinion is sometimes that the the underlying um, nature of the film can be kind of twisted into whichever narrative somebody wants to make it. I mean, I'm not saying, Joe, that you're twisting it. I, I would definitely concede to you on a few of those points. But what I want to stress is from my perspective, you know, I'm watching this film and I'm I'm looking at different um, kind of morals and different uh, underlying themes that I kind of am, am spotting, identifying, and that's kind of why I enjoyed the film so much. It, I'm not necessarily looking at it as, oh, here's a white guy going to save another population. For me, you, you said that you kind of drew the, the kind of attention to that racial, like it's a white guy going into a different race. Well, I think, first of all, you need to remember that this is a completely different species. Um, you know, in the film, we're watching this sci-fi genre, you've got the ability to bring new species in. You can't have a cross-species relationship because they're not compatible. So, obviously, there's a huge backstory about, like, why the Avatar program. So, if, you, um, if you've not watched the film, basically, they create fake Na'vi that a human brain can, like, kind of, like, go into through this kind of uh, bridge. So, it's it's not a permanent thing. It's temporary, um, which is why the, the disabled main character is able to... Um, essentially get this new body with legs like functioning legs which is quite um they draw quite a lot of attention to that and i think for me what i see is that kind of underlying thing is you've got a person who is part of the human system he was a soldier he basically got blown up and lost his like kind of lost the ability to use his legs and he's given this new lease of life and in full you know in partaking in this life essentially he um spends a huge amount of time essentially learning what the Na'vi are and who they are and as a cultural um, kind of difference to how they differ. And he pretty much, he falls head over heels in love with that and he he identifies with that more than the human environment that he's surrounded by, which is this kind of greedy corporate. Um, it's quite anti-American, I think. Um, and James Cameron talks quite, he did quite a few interviews about how um, 
it was kind of drawing parallels from the Iraq war. Um, and basically like, you know, the Americans are used to throwing missiles at people. And I think what he was trying to do was, and I would, I would cede you the point here, Joe, that he did make the Na'vi, the native population, you instantly as the viewer became sympathetic to them um, because they were kind of being crushed. And to be honest, they are. And I think there's definitely other levels to the message, but I think, I don't think it's fair to go as far to say, you know, this is a racial issue and that it's a white guy saving some people. And I think what it is, is it's culturally, you look at it and you think this is a culture that is intuitive, it is connected to their planet. And I think that's just a symbol for, you know, they're living in, trying to just live in, in harmony. It's like this idealistic society. And here the humans are going after the, like literally going after the, ore in the ground which was like 20 million a pop or something whatever they were touting in the film and i think yeah you could go as far like you said you could go and say well why is it a white guy why is it just this native population but for me i just think it's more morally like it's just about being different and like kind of not being this greedy um you know just bombing everyone that gets in your way and just kind of connecting with that culture so that's my counter opinion to that but um yeah. You make you make a lot of great points, and um, I think it all comes down to how much you want to suspend your disbelief as as a spectator. And for me, I can watch Avatar and suspend my disbelief and agree with all of the points that you're making. But then I can also watch Avatar and think that I've seen this film done so many times before. I've I've seen the story of some war veteran going to live with some indigenous species or some clan or tribe and save them from white oppression and i just think again back to my point about james cameron he wants to bring awareness to these themes like he wants to bring awareness to the you know the the the, the tragedy and the inequality of the iraq war but he's so scared to do it properly why does he have to disguise it as a sci-fi film and we've seen these things we've seen these types of movies so many times before why did he have to take all of the cheapest parts from those films put them in a multi-million dollar blockbuster with loads of cgi disguise it sci-fi and think that he was going to get away with a really cheap story that's yeah, my I'd, point i'd say that sort of talking about it, condemning the kind of bush era foreign policy but it inadvertently feeds into some of the american foreign foreign policy which is always we can go and save this other country because just because we should be the people to do it kind of thing and causing more harm than good really like why it i, I think it, it is just that white savior thing and i just that's i just always find that really uncomfortable and mm -hmm. um, yeah, the plot is just really derivative, and that just always does my head in because it's all of those films. It's also Fern Gully, a cartoon that I watched when I was like very young, and I'd already seen the plot by the age of five or whatever. And like, it's just it just feels like a really shallow film for a lot of reasons. Like the Avatar, um, people, yeah, visually it's amazing, and the world visually is ama is mostly amazing, but like. Why make these the species so humanoid? Why not push the boat out a bit and just sort of have more of an interesting character design or world design? Everything's still kind of something on Earth turned a little bit alien. You know what I mean? Like here's a tree, but it has glowing bits. Or here's something that's a bit like a lizard, but it also flies. And it was just even that just felt like 
exactly the derivative for me. I just couldn't get on board with a lot of that. Exactly. And compare it to something like The Shape of Water and, uh, you know, where a human falls in love with this sort of uh, amphibian, humanoid, kind of bipedal creature. And yeah, sure, it was weird to watch them have sexual relations on the screen between a human and this alien or this you know this kind of lovecraftian being but it was okay i didn't mind being uncomfortable because it was new it was fresh it was pushing the boat out i I don't want to watch two blue aliens with big anime eyes you know just touching tails it's i was Uh, about to say it's not (laughs) as weird as having sex with your hair that's that's like (laughs) another level of weird isn't it like I mean, Charlie, we we've talked about Avatar a lot this week in in our in our uh, chat, and I know Charlie, you're quite impartial to the film, so I feel like Ben and I and Connor should uh, <laughs> should take a back seat and let you have a chat about it. Uh, but what I find interesting from from your discussions of it is the way you say that it's I don't, yeah it is derivative of the stories and and it it these stories just being retold over and over again. But then that is all narrative. Like you can't just say that this film is the only one that is a sucker for it. Because I think like every story is derivative of another story, no matter what what it is. It's you know, all stories come from something. You're never gonna come up with something original ever. I know that's very off topic for Avatar, but that's no, yeah, that's a that's, great point. No, it's it's a great point. And I think maybe that's you know, when I think of James Cameron uh in where he is in his career at the moment it's kind of similar to george lucas you know george lucas back in the 70s created something so um so unique and and well not unique because he drew from other experiences but his what i'm saying his his craftsmanship and his directorial input was was very fresh and and creative and he handed it over to you know more industry professionals for the empire strikes back and return of the jedi and then when star wars grew as this huge franchise and there was almost you know two decades between uh installments you know look at what happened with the critical reception of the prequels you know the noise surrounding star wars and i think this is a good point to talk about the 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 upcoming avatar sequels is you know with 12 years between avatar one and the, the upcoming avatar two I, I just get this really bad feeling that, you know, the, the spectacle is, is going to be dead and that all we're going to be left with is a, is a sequel to another, deriv- you know, a derivative story of, 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 of oppression and, and white saviors. And... So my response to that, firstly, is I just wanted to tie in uh, the last point we made about the plot and it being quite basic. And I, I'll give it to you. There's, you know, there's not a whole lot going on there. But there's one thing I... I think I'm prepared to kind of let it get away with the fact that, yeah, okay, it's not super complex, but this, I think, was always intended. I think from the amount of detail that was put into the world and the amount of kind of, there was so much other stuff that was kind of just like on the periphery around the, the kind of first film that I'm I'm quite excited to see um the script develop because i think there's there's a quite a lot of different ways you can go about this um well he james cameron kind of written this script you know um obviously at the end of the film we saw humans basically being kicked off the planet and you know it's well hang on a second they told us that earth basically needed this material you know they're not gonna leave um so 
you know, is how is that going to come back around? And there's all sorts, I think, going on there. And they could go in quite a lot of different directions. So for the storyline, yeah, I'll give it to you for now. It's definitely been quite basic, but there's a lot of potential for it to can go. And I think that brings me on to this, you know, will it still be fresh after, you know, will, still, will it still work after having so long off? And I think there's definitely, you could say, like, you know, like the Star Wars films, they kind of struggled um and you know there's quite a lot of different reasons and i think those are quite highly quite public uh you know um been made quite a lot of i think with avatar i think you only have to look at some of the stuff some of the kind of the chatter and the images coming out from the production of the second film um the one thing that drew me in was i just saw this headline one day it was like kate blanchett talking about how she learned to free dive so um it's not really a spoiler because they've not really talked about it too much. But basically, Avatar 2 is set on the coast. Uh, so the original film set in the, like kind of right in the rainforest. And we're going to get this kind of, we're almost going to get a whole new world of Avatar, like, but on the same planet. And I'm really excited for that. And uh, one of the other things, one of the reasons why it's taken so long is, again, like the first film, James Cameron has had to make, he's literally had to design, build and create the facilities to film this um to you know to film the film how he wanted to um so there's been huge progression um on underwater filming because there's a l- huge amount of scenes that are done o- underwater in this film so when you uh when you say is it gonna is it still gonna you know is the spectacle still gonna be there i think it's gonna be for me it's gonna be epic just to see how they how he keeps it fresh because i think he's definitely identified that I mean, I only ask that question because Avatar 2 is going to be in the realm of, you know, the Disney empire of of films in which, you know, spectacle is, it works still-ish. But I think, you know, after, you know, post-Avengers Endgame, I think how, how excited am I going to be to return to Pandora? Uh, and is this, you know, it's great that James Cameron is inventing all of these new things and, and once again providing the film industry with, with you know pioneering technologies job opportunities and and all of that but on some level i fear that that's just james cameron doing his james cameron thing and once again pulling the veil over our eyes and giving us not one but four more avatar films that are going to be three hours long each in which it's going to be another derivative story sprinkled with a bit of fairy dust so Yeah. Yeah. yeah i'm I'm worried for him, but one positive thing that I will say, because I feel like I've been quite negative about James Cameron, is that James Cameron is the king of sequels. He is very, very good at sequels. And you look at Terminator 2, look at Aliens. He is very good at mixing things up. You know, he took, he turned Alien from a haunted house horror film in space into this, you know, guerrilla warfare bug hunt. And then he turned Terminator from this indie sci-fi kind of uh mad max hitman kind of vibe into this really deep uh sci-fi story about you know family and the future and and destiny and so he's very good at developing on his ideas i just hope he doesn't get lost in all of that spectacle and all this new technology because he's delayed it so much because he wanted the technology to be there and that's exactly why george lucas didn't do the prequel trilogy in the 80s and look what happened, you know. Yeah, I, just, I can't see the fact when I heard that there was a sequel, I was already like, really, does Avatar need a sequel? 
And then I thought there were only going to be two more films after it. And did you just say there's going to be three more films? Uh, four. So there's going to be, no, sorry, three after the sequel. Yeah. So there's going to be Avatar 5 in total. That's just insane to me. I just don't know how. I just. I mean, Avatar 2 could completely surprise me and change this opinion, but I just really don't know what the. I don't know what they're going to get out of this world. Do you know what I mean? I just don't. They can they're either going to do another sort of derivative story that's not going to be that interesting, or they're going to like they're not going to push the boat out and try anything too weird because then what does that mean for the next two films that they already know they have to you know they're they're locked into making? I just can't see it being. I just can't see it being anything too interesting. And Avatar is already it's no longer a story anymore. It's, it's a franchise. Yeah. So they're they're going to be doing things for the sake of the franchise. Um, like Star Wars has been uh, criticized of doing it, it's no longer like I said it's no longer a story uh, so I don't know yeah. are they going to be doing things for the sake of uh, of are they going to be doing things for our benefit or are they going to be doing things for making money and my my money ironically is on them doing it to make money yeah this this is what I'd say as well mm-hmm. who like apart from us right now who really is still talking about Avatar? Like, what is its la- lasting pop cultural impact? Other than the, te- the film technology that it pioneered, yes, absolutely. It definitely pioneered those things. But in terms of, like, in the pop culture consciousness, I just don't think it was there. And, like, it's, I feel like it's going to do this franchise thing and then it's going to try and turn into this transmedia thing like Marvel already is with all the other things. Like... I don't, not just merchandise. I feel that Marvel, you know, obviously they come from the comic books, but they try and tell the story throughout all these different media, which I think is a good thing of these franchises. I think that's interesting. I like to see where that goes. But I feel like is Avatar gonna is Avatar gonna have to do that kind of thing to stay relevant? And is it gonna do it well, or is it just gonna feel like cash grab tying things to the film and stuff? Like, I feel like there could have been a great Avatar video game, but there was just a movie tie-in game that I don't even really know anything about. Do you know what I mean? It's such a strange case, and they're putting a lot of their eggs... They're putting a lot of eggs in one basket in the sense that Avatar never grew from the first film into a franchise. They have they have thrusted franchise upon it already by, you know, they, they basically said, okay, Avatar did really, really well in 2009. Here you go, James Cameron. Here's a billion dollars a billion dollars to make four more films and you you better hope it turns into a franchise mister isn't i think it's quite an interesting one though because it made 2.79 billion dollars like that is a baffling amount of money yeah. like do they like they've all, <laughs> if every, if each of those so let's say there's there's four sequels right so to the first one Let's say you give each of those two hundred and fifty million dollars. That's a pretty huge budget for each one. But if they all flop, the whole franchise is still broken even. Yeah. In fact, no. not even broken even. They've made profit because you can bet that that billion of profit, that two out of the two billion profit, you knock off five hundred million for the costs and paying whoever, and then boom, half of that there's for the next few films, and then the other billion dollars will split between I don't know what was it. <laughs> probably like 40 people or something you know so i don't know i, I just I, I i know i get i i know and i think franchising is is kind of like double-edged sword at the minute and you know you see some franchises that have been hugely successful and some that haven't and yeah i there's definitely reservations um 
side note, uh, the video game was amazing. Played that, loved it. Absolutely right, okay. amazing. Awesome. <laughs> of course um, it was. <laughs> it was actually very good. It was Ubisoft. So it's, um, you know, they've, they know what they're doing. Um, they've made some great games. It's very, very open world. Um, which again, for 2009, it was a very beautiful game. Open world and everything. Ticked a load of the boxes. Separate issue. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think some of the prejudice maybe against it is obviously so far, they're all untitled. So it's Avatar 2, Avatar 3, Avatar 4, Avatar 5. If the Marvel films were Marvel Film 1 to Marvel <laughs> Film 32, and I think they'd pr- you'd maybe probably give it the same argument. So I think there's definitely, there's quite a lot of mystery and behind, you know, where's it going to go? Nobody, we have no idea. You know, it's the fact that there's so long in between films. We've not even got a sequel um, yet to kind of see how it's going to develop. Um, and I think there definitely could be some adaptation to the times, obviously. Um, production, like actual filming production, although this film has been in production, you know, pre-production for so long, they actually only filmed it, uh, I think, in 2018, 2019, some of it was done. So actually, this, you know, the script and the acting and the storyline, that could all be so f- so much more advanced and so much more current that the kind of... We look back at it 12 years ago. Well, that was pretty boring. Didn't really do anything special. Um, not going to lie. I can't think of any other film from 2009 where I thought, wow, holy crap. That was an insane... Inglorious Bastards. Inception. Well, it was 2010, but... <laughs> I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to, to kind of judge it, ju- prejudge them. And the other thing, my final point on it is not really necessarily on Avatar, but I can't really think of a film which has had the level of technical detail and brilliance that Avatar visually gives us that has a storyline to match. Like I'm trying to think all my, all the films where I'm like, wow, that story is so in depth and so nuanced and everything doesn't doesn't have the kind of the the opposite. So is there like this holy grail almost of films that does best of both? And is it possible? You know, did did Avatar compromise itself? By going so full out on this visual effects that the story and the that kind of that, the theatrical side and you know the, the cinephile the cinephile in you, Joe, that really wants that to be such an amazing script and story, like is that was that compromised and is it possible to have both? That's an yes. interesting one going forward. Yeah, it definitely is, but has it been done yet to the point where you would agree um, unanimously that it's been done? Jurassic Park is. Jurassic Park has great effects and it manages to mine a lot of the philosophical arguments that they're making about playing God and things. I think it does that well. I know Connor's got a big opinion on Interstellar, but Interstellar as well, yeah. great visual effects, does have a good story. Yeah, I'd say it has a good story. It's marred, it's, it's, it's marred a little bit by some script, but yeah. by some, uh, some lines of dialogue, but yeah. I see your point, Ben. It's a, it's a, Interstellar is at least ambitious in what it sets out to do. I'd say that already puts it a bit above Avatar for me. I just, I think, I think it all, for me, most of it comes down to potential. Avatar had potential to be not only game change in in the technology, but it really could have answered more of the questions it set out to talk about and things. You know, like the main character, the main character is like. I don't want to say cured because that's not the right word, but he's you know he's like he's able-bodied again. It's not really like it's not really like need like why is he a character in a wheelchair? It's just for a cheap kind of what point? Do you know what I mean? It's just like 
in an attempt to bring awareness to certain other issues it 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 creates others yeah <laughs> yeah it just yeah. seems like that really it just doesn't really doesn't resolve a lot of them for me it just kind of says oh yeah we're, we're, we're bringing yeah we're bringing awareness to this issue but like just the, sort of the least effort needed to do that if that makes sense well listen guys we could talk about avatar i think for the the rest of the evening um but i know that we are approaching time so listen it's been great to chat about avatar it almost got a little bit heated there between ben and i but i think we nah it's, no, it's all good. <laughs> not heated enough not heated enough all right well we we'll have a bit more juice for next week speaking of uh next week we're actually moving up next week's episode a day early so that it arrives on valentine's day uh, and we are going to be looking at crazy rich asians by director john m chu so that's going to be good to sink our teeth into uh, i know a lot of us here haven't seen it uh, no you can't say that when his name's chu oh no well, listen, guys, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, please give us, uh, drop us a like, uh, turn on the notification bell for next week. Give us a follow on our socials to stay up to date with our news. Uh, this has been the show Weekly Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye.